0: Hello, everyone. It's Wednesday, the 5th of July, and welcome to episode 162 of the Kite Podcast with me, Ben Eagle. Today's podcast focus is genetics, and we'll be discussing a trait that has great potential in the context of the continuing sustainability agenda in dairy. Our guest today, joining us from the US, is Jocelyn Johnson who is a research scientist with ST Genetics, and she'll be telling us about the EcoFeed trait. We're also joined by Kite's head of genetics, Rose Jackson, our podcast producer and senior consultant at Kite, Becky Leach. And as always, we're joined by everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. Chris, let's go straight over to you. Milk market report time.
1: Well, last week I did a big shout-out for our fantastic on-farm ice cream makers, but not a single freebie scoop has arrived in the post, alas. Mind, if it arrived melted, it's the thought that counts. Still, I'm not going to hold that against anyone much, and in fact I'm continuing my ice cream theme because I'm bringing you my report this week from Butterton's Farm... In Cheshire, because, get this, the Supreme Champion Dairy Product at the International Cheese and Dairy Awards last week was Butterton's Big Brown Cow Apple Pie ice cream. How delicious does that sound? That sounds amazing. Get them on the show immediately.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Why don't we just all go buy ice cream? Because, you know, not cheapskates. And they can still come on the show.
1: (laughs) Well, I've actually got a good idea, Becky. I (laughs) I bet it involves free ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, I was going to say that they should become the official ice cream partners of the Kite Podcast. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Ideal. (laughs) Ideal, yes. In return for copious amounts of free ice cream, we'll give them the plugs. And I'm also going to give another shout out now because congratulations are also in order to First Milk for winning the Supreme Champion Cheese at the show. It was a double Gloucester made with Welsh milk. So we'll Will be pleased. And I can't help wondering what that might taste like as well. Just in case anyone from First Milk is listening, I'm going to say <laughs> that again. I can't help wondering what (laughs) that might taste like. Absolutely. Anyway, from prize winners to prize losers, i.e., me and my report. And where is the market today? Well, uglier than it was, I think. Uh, Let's start in the UK, where all of the major retailers have dropped their retail milk prices yet again. Ocado, that's a posh retailer for rich southern people, by the way, Becky, you won't have them in Yorkshire. Ocado dropped its price to one pound forty-five for four pints last Thursday and others have followed suit. So that price is now back to September 2022 levels and more money has gone out of the supply chain there. So now to the GDT, and well, oh dear. The prospects beforehand weren't great, I have to say. Last week's futures traders were pricing in a 3% decline for whole milk powder. But in the end, it fell by less than half a percent for whole milk powder. Overall, the index dropped over 3%, but what matters to us the most is that butter was down 10% and skim powder down 6%. Those are pretty disastrous falls. Arla's powder dropped to or even below 1,900 sterling, depending on what exchange rate you choose. All in all, the commodities convert into a UK milk price of less than 29p, which is down over a penny on the previous auction. And in New Zealand, and this is how serious the auction prices are, based on those this year, the season milk price equates to below 23p. That's the bad news. The good news is that there's only been three auctions so far and they've all been pretty rubbish. So there's plenty of time to go. So let's not get overly gloomy just yet last low, the GDT has set the tone for the rest of the market and everything is going to fall back on those prices now. If there were fewer, few buyers before the auction, there are fewer now. Uh, prices for butter and skim are, are already down 100 euros to 150 euros to 4,200 to 4,300 euros. That's the lowest for a couple of months, I would say. Quarter four spot prices are below €4,500. And skim, yeah, well, that's down to €2,200. And on the basis of butter and powder, I don't think anyone can rule out further milk price reductions in two to three months' time, I'm afraid. As with the real market, The futures are also all down again. So butter for three weeks now, skim milk powder has had losses for a month. Uh, The prices on the platform are way higher than the real market price. And in milk price terms, November and December are hanging in above 30p, but only just And July through to November are below it. In the UK, cream was touching 180 per kilo not so many weeks ago. It didn't cross it, but it looks fairly stable in the high 160s to mid 170s zone. Normally, there's a boost from Wimbledon and the traditional strawberries and cream season, but I can't see it having an impact this year. Cheese is also not immune to what's gone on on the uh, GDT. The price of cheese fell 3%, but that shouldn't have a major bearing on our prices here. Um, Nevertheless, it won't help sentiment. And prices, while prices won't immediately move for UK cheese, milk may be diverted out of butter and powder in Europe go into cheese and thus affect supply again. Finally, spot milk is between 36 pence and 38 pence. So I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news again on the market, but it is what it is, I'm afraid. There's more pain to come potentially and for longer than we thought. So on that note, it's over to our guests to cheer you all up. But they're all... Happy folks with hopefully a good story to tell, unlike me. So, take it away, everyone. Goodbye.
2: Literally, nothing that they could say could be less cheery, could it?
0: No, I mean, that is that's probably one of the least cheery starts of the show we've had in a a while, if not a long, long time, Chris. Mm. Thanks. I know,
1: but Rose is on, and Rose is a top vet. Very cheap. And
2: Becky's on, you, and she's a, she's a
1: she's a top, top
3: kite kite podcast affair. producer.
1: <laughs> and Jocelyn's a top American. There yeah. I think.
3: Sorry, well, it's good thing we're shifting into a topic that can help those producers, right, when they're in a downfall market like we today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, Jocelyn, <laughs> you are
2: so on the kite Pod podcast message. We love it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Straight back into the positive. Thanks for that, Jocelyn. Uh, let's go straight over to you on that note. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, a little bit about ST genetics as well.
3: Yeah, so thanks for having me to start and, and a little bit tying into Chris here. I'm, I'm now wondering if ice cream and apple pie is an appropriate breakfast in the States. You know, it's only <laughs> 90 in uh, but. But yeah, I mean, I think you guys already did a good job introducing uh, me. I'm a research scientist with ST Genetics, and so I manage our Ecofeed and Beef on Dairy programs uh, and a a lot of other small research uh, trials here and there as as we work to um, help our farmers be more sustainable. And... I live in Texas, like you said, near our headquarters. So I'm here with my husband and my two little girls, and we're enjoying the scalding heat of the summer right now. So I'm missing my week long in the in the UK, but just to you know a little bit about ST Genetics. You know, I, I finished my PhD in ruminant nutrition in 2019, and you know, I was looking for a career choice, and I chose to work for ST Genetics because I just saw that they really had a passion for the beef and dairy industries. It kind of sounds cheesy, but um, I think you know when you look at a corporation and you look where their money goes, you can kind of tell the heart of the company. and And it was really neat seeing a company that was so invested in research and kind of driving innovation. And all of that with the mindset of how do we make our producers more profitable, you know, our animals better, and then our consumers <clears throat> kind of happy. So it's been really neat working along, alongside of them and being in a company who really follows the science, I guess. So, Jocelyn, will you just make the connection for the
2: UK listeners between ST Genetics? Because they probably won't recognize that name, but they will recognize C- Cogent.
3: Yes, yes. Good point, Becky. So I'm so used to the two kind of functioning as one that I forget, you know, that they come with two different names, but ST Genetics is going to be the parent company over cogent. And so, you know, our our genetics flow back and forth in a lot of ways. And so do our research and um, lots of communication between the two different units functioning under the same umbrella of a company.
2: And the kite team were really blessed actually the other week. You and, and a colleague over from ST and you know met up with you uh, at the cogent facility and got to hear lots of exciting stuff that's going on, which um Rose yeah was very very excited about um and has been talking about ever since.
3: Yeah, I was so I mean, it was so nice coming, it was my first time in the UK, the weather was. Gorgeous. And, um, yeah. It was great great seeing everybody. And we got to put some feet on the ground into the research facilities we have over there in the UK and um, meet even more of the sales team and so forth. So it was a great trip. We thought we got to meet y'all.
0: That in mind, Rose, uh, can we go over to you? I mean, maybe give us a little bit uh, of your feedback on that. But also, we're talking about Ecofeed today. So can you introduce Ecofeed?
4: Yeah, of course. Yeah. So e- Ecofeed... essentially two separate genomic traits um so eco feed heifer and eco feed cow um and essentially they estimate something called rfi or residual feed intake which is a measure of feed efficiency and the simplest way to think about rfi is that it's a difference between what we would expect a cow to eat based on her body size stage of lactation and production level of production and then what she actually does eat because there is some variation there and it can be explained by genetics. So that is the, the bit that EcoFeed is, is based on, essentially.
0: Okay. And uh Justin, in terms of the driver behind looking for this genomic trait, um, because this is all about feed efficiency. Um, what was what was ST's thinking behind this?
3: Yeah, I think it kind of fits in um to nicely with what Rose was just saying. And so it actually started back in 2012. Our CEO saw um A producer that was selecting for this in Brahman cattle, so a little bit different than you know the dairy industry we're talking about today. But he saw that there, this was a trait that this producer was selecting for, and then they were observing changes within the first generation. And so, um, you know, the kind of the light bulb clicked and was like, "Wow, this is a heritable trait. We can select for it. Like we have to have this in you know all industries and, and available for selection." And so kind of at that point in time really started investing into the research uh, with the goal being that, you know, if we can target a trait that, you know, is is accounting for feed essentially, right, which is 50% or more of our input costs, then how much more sustainable from a profit standpoint uh, can a producer become? And then we have also, you know, learned that there's ties within this trait to climate or carbon sustainability. And so being able to really envision the future of the industry and the need I guess for for them to have this trait available for selection um, was kind of at the root cause of of where the program started and it's only continued to grow and even today now we're we also have this trait available in our beef on dairy programs for those beef sires so continuing along down the chain
0: and perhaps with our listeners in mind um, just go into a little bit about the science behind it in terms of how it was developed?
3: Yeah, and so kind of piggybacking again off of, of Rose, right? We we are utilizing a trait called residual feed intake, um, and like she said, it, it essentially gives us the difference between what an animal should be consuming or what we expect them to consume based on their productivity, body size, stage of production, and so forth. And what that does is it allows us to select for this trait independently of anything else, right? We can't have efficient animals that don't have high levels of milk production, right? We need both together. Um, And so the way that we are able to identify these animals is to actually measure the intake. So this research has actually been around for probably 30 plus years as this being the ideal trait for selection. It was just extremely difficult to actually capture the data needed to create a genomic prediction right like if we think about milk we had to collect a lot of um, actual milk data and then tie that with genomic or pedigree data enabled to allow us to then make genetic predictions for milk and so so we had to set up the same the same system where we were measuring actual individual intake for large quantities of animals collecting all of the production repro health data and um then combining that with genotyping uh, to be able to tie in that genetic code portion, right. To where we can take a genotype and look at an animal and make a, a decision on if they are going to be more or less efficient than the others in their herd. Yeah.
0: And there's a pretty hefty trial behind this, isn't there as well?
3: Yep. So we've collected over 15,000 phenotypes um, so far. And so, we collect daily about 2,700 animals um, intake information. So we have 2,700 animals on trial and those are gonna be lactating dairy cows, Holstein heifers, as well as our beef on dairy calves. And so collecting that data um, and pulling it in to where we can really drive um, quality of data um, being really important. And then with that accuracy and that data we can then tie that to the genetic code and, and enable our producers to, to utilize that information.
0: Hmm. And just looking at the the shift in the data, what was what, what's the rough starting point um, for, for, for those farms?
3: In terms of how to utilize and incorporate the data? Yeah. Yep. So it kind of depends on where the farm is at, right? If the farm is not utilizing sex semen or genotyping, you know, then they still have an opportunity to look at sire selection in their herd. And and identify those sires that have favorable feed conversion, which would, which would be represented by a high eco feed score. So if they had two sires that they were comparing, the sire that has a higher eco feed score is going to, to translate that into more feed savings in their, um, next generation. If a farm is using, you know, more of a planned sex, semen, and or genomic testing, if they genomic test with our, um, Company genetic vision. So that's also under the ST genetics umbrella. Um, it's a genotyping company. And so if, if they genotype their females through genetic visions, they'll also receive back then that eco feed score on their females. And so they can then kind of take it to a next step and start making selection for ecofeed within their female population combined then with the sire. And we always want to emphasize that we don't want a single trait select for feed efficiency, right? It's important that we still have the animals that meet all the criteria that we're looking for and other aspects that just also have high feed conversion through that high eco-feed score.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is probably quite clear to listeners already. They're probably already thinking this, Rose, but I mean, why generally might this specific genomic trait be of interest to in dairy farmers?
3: Uh,
4: the, the simple answer is f- feed is, not only is it one of our biggest financial costs on farm it's one of our biggest um costs in terms of our carbon footprint so bringing it back to the sustainability angle anything we can do to reduce the amount of feed on farm at the same level of production is going to be a big win in terms of carbon um so the the, the sort of head, headline figures that, that, that we talk about for eco feed is the difference between the the top 25 percent and bottom 25 percent equates to approximately 15 percent reduction in dry matter intake and then we can also extrapolate from that a 15% reduction in in methane output because methane is so highly linked to dry matter intake so so that's that's what's achievable.
3: I think it's always interesting too right that it's like a, a producer may go into it with the mindset that the savings are coming from feed right and the the profit that that brings to the farm right no person feeding animals doesn't understand how expensive feed is but the interesting shift that's happening in the industry now in the climate world as well, we're starting to see a lot of opportunities that that are coming up that may be opportunities for profiting off of the carbon savings from this program as well. And so it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how this evolves. But the main goal, right, is that the dairy farmer has the opportunity to save on feed and then potentially even in profiting from these other climate programs as they become more and more available it's interesting
2: because we talk a lot on this podcast about and and within the kite business about you know doing the right things from a sustainability perspective is essentially you know a lot of it is grounded in efficiency and if it's environmentally efficient or if it's if it's efficient it's environmentally beneficial it's generally cost beneficial as well because it's taking waste out of the system but there's a very direct link isn't there between feed and cost and uh, environment in this case so it's even more beneficial over and above the sort of uh, nuanced benefits that we would talk about
3: absolutely every every ounce of methane or carbon we don't put into meat and milk right is wasted and so um, that's all we're trying to do is shift that from going into the environment to going into our products.
0: See, this is mostly a dairy podcast, but um, we do we do, do have beef in mind as well. So, how does this relate to to beef farmers?
3: We always like ask a room of people like if you're a beef farmer, raise your hand. And a lot of the dairymen won't raise their hand, but dairymen are beef farmers, right? And they have been exactly. for for their entirety. And, and so now that we're seeing this beef on dairy space develop as well, you know, it even brings them in more to the kind of circle of beef. But what we're seeing today is is now being able to implement this on the uh, beef genetic side, right? So we have Angus and some Angus sires. <clears throat> and Cogent even has specific sires to the Cogent program that all have um, these eco-feed scores on them. So we're now able to take this to the next step and utilize this, you know, if we're selecting for eco-feed on our female side, and then we add this into the beef mating selection, being able to just drive that feed conversion then of that terminal crossbred calf. I I don't necessarily see it today, but I think five years from now, the beef industry as a whole, even on beef on beef matings, you know, we'll have to start really embracing some of these technologies that, that maybe the dairy farmers have, have been first to kind of lead the path in, but to really drive sustainability on the entire beef supply chain, not just the terminal beef on dairy calf.
0: Just digging down into the detail more here, um, there are actually sort of, we're talking about two two sort of sides of this, aren't we? Because we're looking at heifers, heifers on the one side and cows on the other for the trade. So what's the thinking behind that?
3: Yeah. So, you know, when we think about feed efficiency in heifers, we're thinking about the ability to convert feed into meat, right? And then when we think about feed efficiency in cows, we're looking at that animal's ability to convert feed into milk. And so those are two different processes that are are taking that feed and converting it into one of those products. And so What we see is that there's a low correlation between the two traits. So if you were to just select for heifer eco feed, you're going to have a slight positive benefit to that in your lactating cows. But where we can really achieve the most success in moving the needle the furthest is to actually treat these like two independent traits and select for both of them at the same time. And, And we can apply, you know, then an economic weighting or say, you know, okay, let's how many pounds of feed is a cow consuming versus a heifer and what is the cost of that feed to to determine what weighting we apply on each of these indexes when we're looking at whole farm profitability. Um, And the interesting thing is is recently, you know, we we calculate an index internally that that producers can use to select, but today we don't consider the beef on dairy terminal calf. Um, And so, you know, that heifer trait is the same trait that we are quantifying in that beef on dairy population, right? The ability for an animal to convert feed into meat. And so for some of those producers uh, that are retaining ownership or have, you know, some of those integrated supply chains where they gain value from the genetics of those calves, they're starting to see then <clears throat> how there's, you know, an even higher economic weighting than what we originally thought on that heifer ecofeed. Because we now can consider the benefits of it going to that terminal system.
0: Rose, do you want to come in on here just on the general potential of this? It,
4: it's it's helpful to see it as two two different traits like that because um, bringing it back to the carbon footprint, uh, our our sort of the period of heifer rearing accounts for around twenty five percent of a carbon, farms carbon footprint as well. So, it, in the grand scheme of the cow's lifetime, that is still quite a a big a big portion and a big opportunity that we can we can work on there. Um, I think it would be useful to have it as some kind of economically weighted index at some point, because at at the moment there is this toss up between which which one do we look at? Because, you know, you have got some animals that would be good on the heifer, but not on the cow. And it's how you how you make decisions around that um, at the moment. But um, I think, you know, I believe having a specific index around those two traits will be really valuable as well.
2: Because I'm going to put my farmer head on and think about you know cows in the herd and can you stack the traits jocelyn so obviously your your priority if you're a dairy producer would be i assume to pick the best possible eco trait eco feed cow um trait wasn't it wouldn't it do you then if you then follow that up with the eco feed heifer trait can, can you stack the benefit of both
3: Yeah, that's kind of because we're saying they're not extremely correlated. What you can find is females that have high eco feed for both heifer and both in cow. You can have some that have poor eco feed for both, and then every combination in between, right? And so Mm -hmm. this is where we we weight that index where we combine the two together. And we consider what is the ration price in each of those periods? What is the, you know, days in those period? Um, Because what we want to do is make the most progress in the lifetime of that animal. Right. And so the, the cow is going to have a higher weighting because they're in that stage of production for longer, their feed, you know, cost or double. And so we, we see a lot of value out of that, but, but like you said, a lot of people will, will say, okay, well, I just want to select on cow. I don't care about heifer. And they kind of forget that heifer rearing costs, you know, feed. that's the second largest cost on, on the farm. And so, um, even though it feels insignificant sometimes when we're comparing it to cows, there's no reason, like you said, to just look at one or the other. We really can kind of stack and gain double the benefit uh, from those. And we're actually working on right now, um, hoping to have it released in August. Would be kind of a a carbon index for each sire, and that would take into account then both of those indexes um, and kind of just have a amount of carbon savings that would come from that specific sire in addition to the eco feed and and other traits that you can look at individually.
0: When when will we know more about that?
3: Yep, we're hoping to have it released with the August proof. So we got a lot of legwork to finish up some of those models and so forth. But that would be our, our goal. We have, you know, in the last year, things have really, really shifted in terms of the folks that we're talking to. When I started at ST, you know, I was overseeing daily the research and making sure that the quality of data collection was good. And today I spend more of my time talking to large corporations and customers about um, Ecofeed and how they're going to implement it because these corporations are desperate to find carbon-saving tools, essentially, that they can feed into their carbon initiatives, right? Most of them having a goal by 2030 to reduce by 30%. And so this is just kind of one of those steps along to help in that process of, you know, actually having a um, carbon verified program, and then how much is that allotment per strawless semen? Kind of a concept. Um, so, all shifting in that direction. Hopefully, in the next couple months, we'll have some good information for you guys on that.
0: Okay, great. And and Justin, let's let's just focus in a little bit more on. Feed savings, feed efficiency. And, and Rose was reflecting a bit on this earlier on. But how do these predictions sort of translate uh, on a practical basis to to those feed reductions? Um, so, how much, in essence, putting, putting it bluntly, how much might a farm be saving here?
3: Yeah. For each unit of eco feed, it corresponds to 0.1 pounds of dry matter. So, if you have two females, one has an eco feed of 110 and one has an eco feed of 100, that's going to correspond to the animal with an eco feed of 110, having one pound dry matter less per day consumption. So if those two animals have the same genomic, you know, potential for milk production and all the other traits you want, but one has, you know, 10 points more on an eco feed scale, you know, that would translate then to about a pound savings per day. (laughs) And so it all kind of depends on where your population's at today and, you know, where you want to shift it to in terms of the quantity, right? If you use outlier bulls, we could look at savings, you know, over 15, 20% on your farm for feed and feed cost. But, you know, if you're using more moderate selection, then you're going to be somewhere within that um, range.
0: And Rose, when we look at the wider sustainability agenda here in the UK, but more broadly as well, obviously, this is this is one part of a jigsaw, but what, what role does this have um, when we're looking at that?
4: Right well I think I think we've already said it but it's definitely worth saying again that the, the big, biggest wins in terms of genetics on sustainability is the improved lifetime production um, but anything else that we can add into that so feed efficiency the other one would be sort of health, health and fitness traits which helps with the lifetime bit of it um, and you know there's quite a few different secondary criteria that we can add in but you still can't get away from the fact that production is going to be the biggest driver um, of carbon footprint down. But, you know, and genetics is a big chunk of that, so it's all good.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and the role of genetics generally, again, just, just looking at it on that broad broad basis, what was the impact of that going to be?
4: Well, d- depending which trait, trait you're looking at, the genetics accounts between 30 to 50% of variation that we see see on farm and for production traits is at the higher end. So if you're looking at fat and protein, kilos, for example, you know, up to fifty percent of a farm's performance is going to be down to the genetics, and the rest of it is all down to good management and feeding.
3: Looking at a graph um, that kind of answered that question, and it hit right where Rose was saying, where it was kind of differentiating, you know, milk production and and what is the responsibility of genetics and so forth, and you know, over fifty percent of that from our our CDCB, our national evaluation group is is who published that and exciting to see genetics having such a large impact on you know our production and sustainability
0: in the UK Rose um has there been any trialing over here
3: good
4: question so yeah we uh, we are involved um as in kite uh in a a, a sort of eco feed trial so we're in t- in our third year now um so this is involving four arla ala farms uh ranging from sort of 190 cows to 500 cows, but in a sort of fairly close geographical region. Um, and we started off by genotyping all their females on, on eco-feed in year one, and then have been making breeding decisions based on having eco-feed as a as a weighted criteria in there. So selecting a team of bulls with a higher than average eco-feed score um, and mapping out how what impact that is going to have on the herd average eco feed um so it's a kind of watch this space but there's some really interesting results um so far and the farmers who are on the trial are fair to say that they're well and truly sold on genomic testing in general (laughs) whether it's feed efficiency or anything
2: else that they're that they're looking at what type of herds were those to start with rose because you know the the genomic say uh, testing pitch is always you know um diminishing returns isn't it and you know, but so where were those herds in terms of performance to start with?
4: Well, they were quite um variable, I would say, and all had quite different genetic bases to start from. Um, so some had you know bought in quite heavily to increase herd size, some had dabbled with crossbreeding in the past, but we're now working back towards Holstein. Um we, we had a bit of a a mix really, but it's fair to say if you look at they've all improved their genetic parameters massively in quite a short space of time and one of the biggest wins has been on the on the total solids which for another contract is um ideal and that, that wasn't even what we set out to do but just that increased focus in there um has, has helped to drive all, all the all the production traits too
0: so bringing this all together um to conclude and really sum up what we've been talking about today relating to feed efficiency relating to the overall potential for genetics and the sustainability agenda. What take-home points would you like listeners um, to take away today, Rose?
4: Well, there are quite a few different genomic options out there in, in terms of sustainability. And eco-feed as, as a measure of feed it, feed, it, feed efficiency is independent of any other traits. So we can select for it on top of our production efficiency, on top of our health and fitness traits. So really, it's it's kind of win-win. And the other thing to remember about genetics is that any changes you make are permanent and cumulative within the herd. So it's a very sustainable and cost-effective
3: way of improving things.
0: And Justin, we'll give you the final word.
3: Yeah, I think nothing much to add to that, right? We want the most sustainable, profitable cow on the farm. And so just taking into yeah. consideration what your objectives are and then, you know, making strategic decisions forward and And now being able to utilize, you know, both the production and that feed efficiency and all the other data that we have available will really create a cow that didn't exist, you know, 10, 20 years ago.
0: Fantastic. We will leave it there for today. That is all we have time for. But a big thank you to our guests, Jocelyn Johnson, Rose Jackson, Chris Walkland and our podcast producer, Becky Leach. Thank you very much for listening. Please see the show notes for more information, including our podcast disclaimer. We'll be back with you next week. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here.